Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for pagans. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We are the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. I'm Adam Minahan sitting with David Niles and our buddy Thomas Lackey. We just got done talking about the Eucharist. If you're listening to this uh, via podcast, go back and make sure to, to check that one out. That was a lot of fun. If you're listening via radio, you can always subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Um but we're going round two. This is the second episode that we're doing in one day. Have we done that before, Dave? I don't know. I was trying to think about that. I don't think we've done two in one day. At least uh, that I can recall. Yeah, I don't know. But we have our, our, our good friend Thomas here. Uh, we said last episode, and it remains true through this episode, that he's probably our smartest friend. And so we were happy to have him along. And we figured if we can get him here, because you live about... 40 minutes yeah, away. About 40. It's not too bad. But yeah. we figured like once we got him here, we better keep him here for a little bit. So uh, this episode, we're doing the same thing as last episode. We are kind of throwing the format out the window. This go around. I'm drinking a little of IPA. You're having, uh, you're still having your. I'm sticking with Johnny Walker Green. It's okay. And you're having tea that yeah. I brought from China. Yeah, it's it's, it's fantastic. It's now, a, what kind of tea is it again? It's a pu'er tea. See, he knew more than I did. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's really really good. It's um very dark, strong, manly tea. And it's and it's really earth, good. Earth tones, right? We have we have some yeah. friends who who are big tea drinkers. Shout out David Bates, RestlessPilgrim.net. Um, so but tell us just a little bit more about it. it it's okay. earth, earth tones. Is yeah, that yeah, right? yeah. So so they they. They take the they take the leaves and they they bury them under the ground to to ferment to to, to for sometimes years. I mean, you, you can every now and again you'll see a pu'er tea is like labeled like a like vintage. You know, like oh, this is the the nineteen ninety seven or something like this. And you know, it's like it'll have a year stretch to it, but it gives it a very very earthy taste. Uh, I, as I said when we were talking drinking earlier. There's kind of like a, an almost potting soil quality to it, and you're like, "Oh, that sounds terrible." N- no, it's it's very refreshing. Go go try some if you haven't had it. It's really good. You mean potting soil? When, uh, <laughs> I mean the tea. Oh, the tea, right? The tea. Okay. Uh, it's 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 just really good stuff, and I've never I've never had uh, had this particular one before, and it's fantastic. So, good. Yeah. Good. Uh, what I like about it is that it's not bitter. No, you it, know, so it's just the flavor of the tea without the bitterness. Yeah, and no matter, even though it's a very very dark tea, uh, it. It doesn't matter how long you steep it; it won't get bitter, which is not true of most teas. Most teas, yeah. if you oversteep them, the tannins come out; it gets bitter really quickly. But this one, it just it just gets stronger. It never ever gets bitter. Sweet. Okay, so we're so we talked about the Eucharist last episode. This episode is one that I've been trying to uh, have for quite a while, um, and I just couldn't uh, find. You know, we, we talked with Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers not too long mm. ago on the importance of philosophy. You should go back and check that out. That was a really fun episode. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, but we didn't have time to really sink our teeth into here are some philosophers that men should know about, read about, study, 
and, and understand their way of thinking to help uh, us today understand our way of thinking. Uh, and so I, I asked you to come up because you're kind of a, a philosopher. I mean, you, you've, you've done some philosophy. You've read some philosophy. I, 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 certainly, yeah, I certainly like reading it. It's, you know, and the tricky part was coming up with only a few, right? Because it, it, I think I we could imagine. do this. this We could like repeat this podcast as a series yeah, and like always times. be pulling up new names. Right. So, cause there's been a lot of people over the years. Right. So, uh, but we're going to stick to five. We're going to try to stick to five today. Yeah, Let, I think let's, so. let's talk about, or just list the five that we're going to talk about. Cause some of them I had, I don't know okay. much about. Yeah. We're going to go in and I, I did not think of any particular order. Like, Oh, read these in this order or something. I just like pick names. Okay. So, uh, we're going to talk about Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Cicero. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to talk about uh, Augustine, Anselm, and Aquinas. Okay. So we've got one Protestant, one pagan, and three Catholics. Okay. They all come into a bar and they start talking. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk. Let, let's start it off. We have because let's try to at least knock out one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with Kierkegaard. So um, Kierkegaard, I picked him because, and he I think would be in in the good sense uh, kind of a. a, a, a Focus on individual, right? Now, they, uh, I've heard Tony the Marshall say the other day, oh, don't use it individually. He doesn't like it. Yeah, yeah, he said that on our, on our yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, but I'm going to... I've used, tried to not say it sometimes, yeah, and it's, it's like, tough. I, don't, I don't know what other word... Yeah, I'm, I'm actually... I'm Because sometimes the word person just doesn't fit, doesn't fit well into and, the and conversation. Kierkegaard, yeah. Kierkegaard uses the term self quite a bit as a self, which kind of works sometimes, but he also uses individual. And the reason I want to highlight him is... Uh, you know, he's sometimes kind of almost put out like a like a somebody you'd read in college and feel all rebellious and something like that, almost like Nietzsche or somebody. And I don't really think that's doing Kierkegaard justice. Hmm. Uh, it, like it's like this phase people go through and when they're 18 or whatever and they read Kierkegaard and they, they shake their fist at the established order and then they move on. And uh, there's, a, there's an article on First Things from years back called Kierkegaard for Grown Ups, which I would recommend going and find and kind of deals with that. We, we won't have time to get into all that today but the he what what Kierkegaard does so well is he doesn't let you off the hook we he makes you try to consider your actions in an absolute sense as opposed to relative to other people um and that's a very you know to fit the catholic man show i'd say that's a very manly kind of like quality is to say Mm -hmm. uh i'll even read it i'll start off with a quote because it'll kind of give you the flavor of Kierkegaard. Okay. So um, some people had asked about like other sources, and we'll, we'll get with that like to, to contemporary sources for reading about Aquinas or somebody like that. With Kierkegaard, just go read Kierkegaard. A lot of his stuff's available free online, and no one else could quite, I think, capture his. He's 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 got a very ironic way of writing. He's he's kind of he's 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 very he's harsh but witty at the same time. So anyway, here we go. Uh, here's a quote. In eternity, it is not asked whether your marriage was in accordance with others, with the common practice, or whether it was better than others. But you, as an individual, will be asked only whether it was in accordance with your responsibility. For common practice changes, and all comparison goes lame or is only half-truth. But eternity's practice, which never goes out of fashion, is that you are the individual, that you yourself and the intimate relation of marriage should have been conscious of this. That's kind of, that's a flavor, a taste of him, He's always saying that, you know, you can't be comparing yourself to others because you stand under the judgment of God who asks, not how did you treat your children compared to the other people on your block? 
how did you fulfill how did you feel your fulfill your responsibility before eternity and so is he is he the protestant he is okay he is. i just want yeah. to make sure and yeah. do you know roughly when he was around yeah 1800s 1800s yeah okay. so he, if you want to set set, set him against someone like uh, in a sort of dialogue he's he's really an anti-hegelian type philosophy hmm. so you've got hegel and marx and others going they are all about kind of the idea of of a collective he's trying to reel that back in and saying being a member of a group isn't enough right it's like you know, it, it, he he complains a lot about what he calls the established order, and this is this is often made in reference to the church, uh, not really so much the Catholic Church, uh, because of course he's Protestant. But the idea here is that he's trying to get is that we seem to have this notion of a kind of creeping Christendom where we're all we're all Christians now, and is like he said, but you know, his idea is it's not enough that the church has faith, right? Yes, the church has faith. We acknowledge that. Do you believe it? Do you have faith? It's not enough to say, "Well, I'm a member of a church, and that church has faith." Mm. It's like, yeah, it, you know, or the, the the church has doctrines. It's like, do you know them and do you believe them? Because it's not enough that the church has them. So, so was his thought process more of like the more that you actually help yourself, like as far as like becoming more virtuous man or or however, the more it actually helps the community. No, I, I don't think that would be where I'd go to. I think it's more. It's I think it's more about the idea of responsibility and no excuses, right? That you stand as an individual before God, and you know when He asks you questions about how you live your life, uh, you can't say, "Well, I, I think I did better than than Dave," you know. I mean, that doesn't. That's not how it works, right? Right. Okay. So l- let me ask you this, because. You know, when you're in the history of all these, there's all these philosophers. I would imagine that in order for a philosopher to stand out in history, it was not simply because they agreed with all the other philosophers who have come before them. You know, they they had to take a stand that was maybe different or, you know, like make their mark on philosophy. What was Kierkegaard's? What was his deal? You know what I mean? Well, he stands at the beginning of, of existentialist philosophy, so there's that. Uh, now, that's normally associated with the idea that that um, the existence precedes essence, so that you know that that something is like a thing before it is sort of determinate as to what the essence of the thing is. I'm not sure I agree with that. I don't either. But it, it, Kierkegaard, I sat, strangely enough, wouldn't either. But he, there is this idea of becoming. That he's dealing with, with the idea that, you know, we're, you know, I'm going to make a completely, you know, sideways analogy, but St. Basil writes something to the effect of that, you know, we're created in God's image and his likeness. But he said that, that we're, we're, we're given the image, the likeness is yet to be accomplished, right? So that, that, so hmm. they said otherwise, you know, where would there be merit? I would think that Kierkegaard's view is a little bit more like that, right? That we start, but we have choices. And those choices matter as to what we're ultimately going to become. Okay, so what book would you recommend to read of his? Okay, I would say the the sickness unto death would be a good place to start, or purity of heart. Okay, All right. sickness unto death or purity of heart. We're gonna keep going talking about philosophers that you, as a man, as a Catholic man, should know, read, study. I'm here with Thomas Lackey and my best bud Dave. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. Here with Adam Minahan, we are once again joined by our friend Thomas Lackey. As you can see, he is. There he is. He's a man. He's a man of hats and jackets and beards and beards and or tea. beard, beard, beard. I think yeah. beard. I don't, yeah. think, I don't I, think any man is a man of many beards. That's, that would be weird. Yeah, be weird. I, 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 know, I don't even know. I don't know how to follow up that. What yeah. that means? There is. <laughs> but an you know awesome what? Some Saint Augustine beard quote that I need to try to find maybe before this is over. Yeah, he's talking. Yeah, talking about the bearded man. The bearded Sometimes, man. like yeah. Saint Joseph or some of the saints, their beard splits into two beards. It's still yeah. just one beard. Though. I know, but it's it's like it has the soul of two beards. <laughs> well, actually, you know, that's that quote because it's repeated in the psalm. It ran down the beard, the beard of Aaron, and it like uh-huh. it's like, why does it repeat the beard? Unfortunately, I don't remember the rest of the quote. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. Yeah, okay, but we've been talking it's about beards are awesome. Uh, uh, Keep rubbing it in, guys. <laughs> Keep rubbing it in. Uh, we're, but we're talking about philosophers today. So we just got done with Kierkegaard. Yeah. That, did I yeah. say that right? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dutch guy, you said. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's a lot of fun to read. He's got a, a good sense of humor as well. Okay. So, uh, he, you know, some, like I said, he won't let you really off the hook. Okay. So in this next segment... We've got to get through more than one. Yeah, we got to go. We got to go fast. Let's go with Cicero. So uh, as the next, as okay. a good, good guy to read. Uh, so he's he's. I would say he's a very practical philosopher. I mean, philosophy okay. as is very much as lived out in the moral sense. It's like it's not enough to think about these things. You have to do them. You have to live them. And uh, and I mean, I I don't know that many philosophers would necessarily disagree with that. But certainly the whole kind of Stoic school and and the. There's a the kind of a, a group, the Greco-Roman moralists, they're kind of grouped together. So you get Cicero and Epictetus and Plutarch and and all those. They fall into this category. Plutarch. Yeah. <laughs> what a dumb name. <laughs> so you get all these and, and they're like grouped together, you know, and they, they, they're all about living out the, the a virtuous life. Okay. Plutarch sounds like a name from Spaceballs or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> How about Xenophon? There you go. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. So, so uh, a little background on Cicero. Yeah, so uh, lived uh, just before, you know, the, the and really during the fall of the Roman Republic. Uh, he's he's often classified as a Stoic, uh, but he's, he kind of borrows from a bunch of schools of philosophy. He's, he's eclectic in that regard. He, he, he I would say there's a kind of core of Stoicism there, but he, he'll borrow from 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 the others, from other schools as well, kind of make up his own. So own Stoicism, thing. for those who don't know, would you say that's essentially like grit and bear it? Uh, yeah, so there's a, a famous saying kind of attributed to Epictetus. I don't think he actually said this, um, but that it can more or less be su- uh, summed up in the idea to suffer and abstain. Now, you'd think, oh, yeah, you're just being tough. No, he's actually talking about evil. You should bear evils done to you, but you should abstain from doing evils to anyone else. So, th- I mean, there, there's nothing to object to in that statement. No. Mm-mm. No, and, and, and I think where you get with Cicero is very much the idea of the duties that a man has to him, to his family, to the state, uh, to his friends, and that those are imposed true moral obligations that you need to, to basically that be a man and fulfill. And uh, So he, he really uh, focused on virtue? Very much on virtue. Um, and the, the uh, not... F- being and tempted. he's pagan. He's a pagan, yet, yeah, but not being tempted into seeing, um, into choosing what might look like the easier course 
versus the uh, the better quote. And as a pagan, this is an interesting thing because I'll read this how about half a quote, but it, it's a great quote. And he said, uh, he if he thinks that wrongdoing ought indeed to be shunned, but that death, poverty, or pain is much more to be shunned, he errs in imagining any evil affecting the bodily condition or property to be greater consequence than moral evil. So this is a very, so he makes this distinction between your everlasting soul, which he does affirm, particularly in, in, in the dream of Scipio, which is one of his, his things, uh, writings, uh, that, you know, the soul is everlasting and you're just making a, a, a huge mistake if you think that anything, basically any natural evil that you would suffer here or hardship that you would go through could be worth sinning. Mm. See, he both Cicero and my and I'm not I, you know I haven't done a whole lot of reading of, of Cicero. I mean, but he and Marcus Aurelius, when I read both of their writings, it just blows my mind that when I read this, I'm like, how how do you how do you look at this or how do you write this down and then and then not be Catholic or not you know yeah then persecute is, the church. Yeah, Aurelius is tougher because of course Cicero lives before Christ, but right. But the yeah, I mean Aurelius, you read so much, and, and there is a, a strong compatibility between much of what's said, and then and then you know, but it's like falls short of that last step. You know, and one way to do that for Cicero is Cicero talks a lot about uh, giving about, naturally about justice, but even the sense of like if someone helped you, that you have that extra level of obligation when they're in need to help them. But if you think about that, we've reached justice. We haven't gone that next step to charity, right? So hmm. it's kind of like the, the, the pagan philosophers, we get you so far, but they won't take that. They, the they next won't jump. The next jump. And uh, But Cicero Cicero is great. I mean, I, I highly recommend reading uh, it. There are, most of his most famous works are pretty short, and he's a very clear writer as well. So uh, read On Moral Duty, Some the, the Latin title is Deo Ficiis, and then uh, on, on Friendship, which is excellent, uh, the Imicidia. Does he borrow a lot of uh, Aristotle stuff? He borrows a little. Uh, on friendship? Uh, he borrows a little. Um, I mean, I, I think, I don't know how much Aristotle he would have read, So he, but the, I would say that the concepts are substantially similar. Okay. All right, let's get on to the next one because we, we only right. have a certain amount of time. Yeah, so let's let's hop ahead to... Now we're, go- we're in the Catholic realm now. Yeah, we're in the Catholic yeah, realm all now. Catholic uh, from so here on So let's out. go with St. Anselm, who's one of my favorites, and you don't hear talked about very much. I hear I hear you talk about him yeah, so a lot. When you hear people talk about St. Anselm, they're usually talking about his ontological argument, which is a, a, an, a an attempt to prove the existence of God from kind of the, the from the definition of, of God. Um, I'm actually not going to talk about that because that's not that's it's, it's kind of a sidetrack and it's it's not kind of not where we need to, where I'd like to go. I, I I what I think is a great place to start with Saint Anselm is to read either uh, on free will or even better on the fall of the devil. And uh, hmm. yeah, it, it's that a, would be interesting. It's a very interesting read, and the idea he tries to get across the kind of big ideas thing is that. We're, we're created with a will that has kind of two capacities. It's the will to do the right thing, the will for justice, and the will to do what we think is, you know, for personal advantage. You know, so for, and that if you only had one or the other, there would never be any real cause for merit, right? Because if you could only, if you were like an animal that only willed to do whatever you thought you wanted right then, then you wouldn't be morally blameworthy for doing 
something that was unjust. Like you had no, there was like, it's basically your will would have been necessitated. There'd be no choice in the matter. But likewise, if you were created with a will that only willed the right thing and never, you know, it had no, it had no ability to, uh, you know, to look at advantage, there would be no, there'd be no opportunity. Again, you wouldn't have had any moral, moral, uh, sort of quality to the decision. It would have been a necessity. Now, so he, he reconciles these two tensions, you know, in that we, we've got to will the right thing for the right reason, right? We've got to w- will justice for justice's sake and be willing to, to in, in some case, to, to sacrifice the, the, what, the advantage or what we think is the advantage. Hmm. And he, he take talking of the devil and of the angels, he, he what thing it is that they might have desired, he doesn't actually go into. He said there's something yet that they might have desired or did desire that basically Lucifer and the fallen angels reached out and tried to take and fell and the holy angels retained the will for justice to willing God's will first. And that being that they merited then as a reward, the very thing that they would have, that they would have, that they would have desired. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so now there's no more tension between the wills. I would, I I want to point that out. So it's like, well, why can't they fall again? And it's like, because it, they're, basically the, the the tension has been completely resolved in that they're in their they're, they, they've been made completely perfect in hmm. in in the sense of the, their satisfaction and of course if we wanted to tie in a little Aquinas uh to this we would get the idea that you know in the beatific vision that you know to be to to be face to, to face with God who is who has you know all goodness there's nothing else that you they could ever desire yeah what do you want yeah nothing yeah yeah exactly. you have it Selfish. you've got it yeah. you have so everything you can't be you can't be selfish. so yeah so i mean right. so augustine um i i mean augustine uh, anselm was is, is awesome so okay so some of the works you said again remember remind me yeah so i would say that the two uh, on the fall of the devil and on free will are the, the 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 two i'd recommend reading first his famous ones are uh are, are good too like the proslogion but just you know the ontological argument is kind of its own podcast yeah okay yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, and, and when did he live? Uh, Anselm. Yeah, eleven hundreds, uh, give Ish. or take. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he 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 winds up being the 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 bridge between the scholastics that come later and the 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 Augustinian philosophers that come after. So it's right at the reintroduction of Aristotle. He's more maybe on the Augustinian Platonic side, but he's like the beginning of the scholastic way of 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 of, of arguing. Which I like. I'm a big yeah. fan of. It's just like. No, you're not. But, but yeah, yeah. No, but he also writes dialogues, not. by the way, which is something you that you, you don't really see that come as much later. Okay. So we're here with Thomas Lackey uh, talking about uh, different philosophers that every man should know about, read about, care about, and why. When we get back, we're going to continue the conversation more on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm sitting here drinking a little bit of IPA. Dave's having a little bit of a blended scotch whiskey. I've got tea. Very delicious Thomas, tea. Thomas has tea from China. Uh, we're talking about uh, five philosophers that guys should know about, think about, read about, uh, study. And obviously, we, we said this uh, last break, or the break before, we said this actually could be, we could repeat this podcast ten times. We're going to obviously not hit philosophers that... You're going to listen to him and be like, why did you not talk about this guy? Right. I, yeah. I get that. We only have five. We have 48 minutes. We can only fit five in. Yeah. Cut us some slack, guys. Yeah. yeah I mean, if it, if we would try to like, <laughs> we I think we were talking about like five five old ones, five fairly recent ones, and then it came out. I mean, how are you going to do that with two or three minutes each? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just not. So it, for our next one, we're actually going to go with a guy who's still alive by the name of Thomas Lackey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No. You're you're the guest, Thomas. All yeah. Right. yeah. What, I, I, actually, we're talking about Augustine this episode right. or the, yeah. this segment. I yeah. know. I okay. Just, so so just kidding. Let's let, yeah. So uh, for Augustine, I'm. Uh, I mean, I don't know that, he, know that he takes a lot of introduction in the in the yeah, Catholic sphere. I agree. Uh, so what I am going to say though is, everybody should read the Confessions. The Confessions are awesome. But I think the theme I would would want to draw on would be from the City of God. Which is kind of his Just masterpiece. Conden- I mean, it is huge. Yeah, it, it, it's not condensed. It is very. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long read. It's got to be over a thousand pages. Yeah, uh, but it's worth it. So, what he does is basically lay out uh, his vision of it from, and he lays it out from Genesis all the way through basically the end of time, that uh, contrasting the development of two intermingled cities at the same time. The city of God and the city of men, and he he stra- starts with uh, he doesn't start the so book you're talking here. about like, almost like church triumphant versus church militant or no he's talking more about like the wheat and the tares okay yeah and he, the he, wheat and the tares yeah so that like in the, the the parable of the wheat and the tares where 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 the the weeds are sown oh, in okay. among them okay so the the thing is that you've got here and he, he starts even tracing this from like from like Cain and Seth. So Seth being the 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 kind of re, replacement doesn't sound like the right word, but you see what I mean. You know, mm-hmm, the, right, the, right. For, for and the, the the these two cities starting even from there diverging with one being you know the the city after God's heart basically, and the other seeking the things of this world, and that those two cities even though they're mingled will be always in constant tension between each other, and that, that uh, yeah, and, but that they're going to stay mingled until the end of time. In which case, which is why, like, the church is countercultural, right? Yes. In fact, there's a great there's a great quote in here. Uh, actually, here here we go. It, uh, it has come to pass that the two cities could not have common laws of religion, and that the heavenly city has been compelled in this matter to dissent and to become obnoxious to those who think differently. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So so the the idea that and I think that's a kind of it's an important. It's an important idea. It's an important vision that there's always going to be this tension between the ways of this world and and God's ways, and that you're not going to yeah. achieve this time in which you can just basically live in an unconverted but peaceful world where the, where the church and and every, and 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 secular society live in you know perfect harmony. There's always going to be tension. So, what was his idea? Like, why did he write write that? So he's writing this at the time that Rome has just been sacked. And which, you know, was unimaginable 
to the people at the time and he and there uh there's a, a bit of a of a persecution that revives again of the christians saying well if we'd kept up with the old sacrifices if we'd kept following the pagan gods then this would never would have happened right the, so he starts off then as a history of Rome. Uh, it's very fascinating. I mean, if you, as a history book, it's just absolutely fascinating because he tra- tracks this history of Rome and all the times for whatever they, they've lost in wars. and So he's like, you know, we're not to blame here. You know, this has happened before. Then he goes through a thing of, go, of analyzing all the Roman gods from a philosophical perspective and trying and proving basically by the methods of the philosophers themselves that, you know, that that they fail on their own terms, right? So then he goes about to establish the superiority of Christianity again in their own terms, right? So he's like saying, even by your own terms, you all should become Christian because we succeed by your own standards uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of truth. I mean, I want to say it, it's just, he's he's not necessarily talking about uh, triumph, like I said, uh, in, in battle. I mean, we're here we're talking about pure, it is true. And So is it an apologetic? Yes, definitely. I mean, it's just like, you know, a thousand pages of it. Yeah. He also like just demolished a lot of heretical things going on at that time, that time period. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, so he, he, he's, he's got like this, these multiple conversations in a sense going along, uh, one against the, 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 a slight, at least revival of paganism, another against, uh, heresies. You know, that he actually, I can't remember off the top of my head, starts with a D, don't, don't Donatist, Donatist, yeah, yes. who believed, uh, if I remember correctly, they, they disclaimed the, the, na- the human nature of Christ. No, the, I, I, and the, the Donatists were about, uh, the Manichaeans, uh, yes, yeah, no, they, they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, so, Manichaeans and Don, because he, he, he demolished both of them, yeah, he, well, he was a, he, he <laughs> in his kind of like in his journey, well, he was Manichaean, yeah, right, exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, his initial conversion in the, uh, he details, or like the beginning of his road comes from leading Cicero, reading Cicero. Which is oh, interesting. Which is, Unfortunately, a lost work of Cicero. We don't have it anymore. But he references it and says, "Well, that is where you know, basically, I began seeking God for the love of truth." Mm-hmm. And he he kind of makes Cicero the the start of that. So uh, it's an interesting kind of like to tie these What's together. What's the movie about him? What's it called? A Restless Heart. Restless Heart. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, a great movie. Actually, a good movie. If you haven't seen, I it, haven't, I haven't seen it. I'd should, like to. Yeah, yeah. you should. I, uh, remind me, I have the DVD. I'll give it to you. Oh, perfect. Uh, but it is uh, what I love about Saint Augustine is that he used, you know, he had this idea. He brought rhetoric into the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, he was like this guy who could really twist, you know, use words to his advantage. Uh, you he was, know, he's he kind was of a, a lawyer. lawyer. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so he he took that and understood. Okay, it was almost like he developed this understanding of like, here's how you form an argument here's how you debate people and then he had yeah, this conversation he, he, was this, he was a rhetorician and the the thing is that he he had trouble kind of being in a sense being brought into the faith because all the arguments that he'd heard when it it finally through you know as we know through saint monica's prayers and the, it, he winds up being confronted as it were almost with saint ambrose mm-hmm. who is uh, a, a master yeah he's a stud uh, and so he, now totally. he starts going and listening to saint ambrose as much as to study technique. Yeah, uh, he actually was taking uh, Ambrose's homilies and using them because he was like the voice of the queen or whatever, whatever you call that. I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, yeah. he was the voice of the queen 
at the time. And so he was like going to church only to study what Ambrose was saying in his homilies and then taking that and paganizing it basically for his speeches for the queen. Yeah. So it was pretty like, it's like not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I don't know about the, the, I didn't, I know he was a tutor. I don't know who he's a tutor of though. So hmm. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, so he was he, laughing right now. So <laughs> Amb- Ambrose, Ambrose is uh fart jokes. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Ambrose, Ambrose kind of like won him over first to rhetoric. I mean like by rhetoric yeah, and right. then by content, if, mm-hmm. if it makes sense. Yeah. You know, and when you've been a, a lawyer in that sense, basically you've made a living off of equivocating, you know, because that's what so many so often what you do if you, you know, you if you're trying to mislead someone, then you equivocate on a term and get them to kind yeah, of I mean, slide I, into I, it. I, I, so if you're that guy, I see. I don't know if you're he not going to fall guy. for it. I don't know if he was that guy. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I think I get the idea that that his his love of truth was sincere. It was just one of these things that's he, he was just looking for it in the wrong places. Yeah, well, I mean, well, earlier I, in his life, when he's young. Early, early in his life, he was saying that you can make up your own truths. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I mean, actually, that, that's what it, that, I mean. That's at least what I, what I've read. So that you know, the, I think also there there certainly comes in this idea that that at some point along this process, he's like now he's convinced of the truths of Christianity, but he doesn't want to give up his way of life. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. which is something we can all connect with. Yeah, I mean, right? I, th- I think that's I mean, that's something that people forget so often is that it's not enough to know. You have to you have to decide. Right. And uh, so he got, you know, at first he didn't know. Then he knew, but he didn't want to decide. Right. Because he was a high official at that time. You well, know, so at, the, at the least he, uh, he had a mistress and he didn't want to mm-hmm, give her up. Mm-hmm. And for him, at least now it may not be for everybody. For him, at least he knew that if he became a Christian, that he was he, he was going to become a monk. And uh, ultimately, as we know, he becomes a priest and a bishop and all these things. But he, he entering into this, this, this. Mm-hmm. And, and so he's like, if I do this then there, there's these things I'm going to be giving up, including my mistress and, to some extent, my son. But look what happens whenever yeah. you do that. It's, it, it's, now, now, I mean, not that he had to give up his son, absolutely, but you see what I mean. That there right, would be, yeah. It would be a change. But it's, it, it, it's change. a beautiful way of the way God works of, like, you know, where you, you, you cling on to these things and say, like, oh, I can't give this up. This is what I love. And then, then what, what does he do? People remember St. Augustine for, the, for all of eternity, for the rest of, you know, for... Till the end of time, because he created all of this, you know, the, this beautiful works and helped hundreds of thousands of people convert to, to Catholicism. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, you know, there's a there's a I, mean, I can't quote it. Unfortunately, I can reference it at least at the the, the uh, Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. It's like, it, you know, that he said, you're afraid you're losing all these things. And I'm not quoting. This is just a, per, you know, paraphrase. But, you know, I capped them all for you, mm. you know, it, 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 it because I wanted you to seek them in me. Right. right. So it's that kind of thing. It's like, well, you, you thought you were going to lose all this stuff, but no, I, I had it all along yeah. just waiting for you. I think orator is the word I was looking yeah, for. I think I orator was what you were going for. Yeah. I don't think it's lawyer. I think it's orator. I think he's yeah. been, he was an orator. Yeah. I just meant that he's a, he was a lawyer in that kind of like sleazy way. <laughs> but okay. I'm glad I got, I'm, I'm glad yeah. I, that, that word hit me. So when we get back, we're going to talk about Thomas Aquinas because you cannot talk about philosophy without talking about Thomas Aquinas. That's so true. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles, here with Adam Minahan, our special guest, Mr. Thomas Lackey. Is your middle initial A? I feel like Thomas e. A. Lackey. Thomas E. Lackey, that's yeah, good too. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we are talking about five philosophers. Um, these are five philosophers of Thomas's choosing uh, that you should probably get to know. It'd yeah. be, it would be good. It'd be good. If you don't know anything about philosophers and you're, you're thinking, who who should I start with? Maybe start here. Yeah. You know, also, this is a, a kind of slightly an aside, but you can also find in addition to works, there's some good, you know, audio courses and things you can find. Mm. I mean, the internet nowadays, you can get much. I think there's one by Professor Thomas Williams through the teaching company on, uh, I, the, the, I think it's called Faith and Reason, which would be an excellent intro to uh, to Catholic philosophy. Yeah, dude, the internet. Yeah, so, I mean, just throw that out right now because it, it'd be really good to... to yeah, everybody would enjoy it, I think. Okay, so, so now we're going to move on to St. Thomas Aquinas, who mm-hmm. is a protege of uh, our previous uh, philosopher uh, uh, in many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that that, that St. Thomas is profoundly uh, Augustinian. Now, we, people kind of emphasize the uh, you know the, the influence of Aristotle, but he quotes Augustine more than any other theologian, right? And so he, he does. He, while he does bring in this, you know, the the, the Aristotelian elements, he's he's certainly coming also with the the, the Platonic, right? Yeah, like, I mean, he would say right. things like Augustine's when he's making an argument. He'll say, well, Augustine said this. Yeah, and he just I pretty mean, much leaves if, it there. As if, yeah. like, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Augustine said. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, he has a—now, he will disagree with St. Augustine on occasion, but, mm-hmm. I mean, but he has a profound respect for St. Augustine. It'd right. sweet if they lived at the same time period. And, uh, you know, Matt Frad, who is a big—you uh, know, he, he's a big guy on St. Thomas. Uh, he often compares the two about how St. Thomas is beautiful in his own way— St. Augustine is beautiful like a, a work of art um, or a poem, and St. Thomas is beautiful like a razor or a tool is beautiful just because it's precise and... Yeah, cl- clear-cut. So, yes. So um, so I think that what's going to... might be slightly surprising is my recommendations on what to read uh, uh, for St. Thomas, which is to read, uh, if you're not primary sources, to read his commentaries on the Ten Commandments and on the the... the it's, there's a bundle you can get there's like on the three greatest prayers but they're individual works on the the lord's prayer the creed and the uh hail mary so i would say those would be mm. a great way to kind of like get into reading aquinas yeah. a little more popular level they were delivered i don't know if they were all this way but at least many of them were delivered as lenten sermons and people would come and they'd listen to him speak you know all during lent and he would you know expound on the the prayers of the church and on the commandments yeah you know i we i say that that he's like kind of this racer you know not poetic and beautiful but, but he wrote some beautiful actually, poems yes some yeah. of his some of the prayers he, of the, he wrote we still say today yeah you know like the tantum ergo and like some of these most the most beautiful latin prayers that we have yeah. are uh and you read the translations and it's like wow yeah, so he was. Bonaventure had the same thought. Well, I was about to say they were both. You know, there's a story. They were both hired to write a mass setting, and they were. I don't know if they were doing it together or what, but uh, Aquinas sent Bonaventure what he had written so far, and Bonaventure immediately burned, like tore up and burned everything that he had written. You know, it's like 
I no. It, yeah, you, I, you, dude. I think, I think, I think sometimes Thomas Aquinas gets that uh, that reputation for being very dry. Yeah, and yeah, it's, that's it's right. not fair. Yeah, uh, it really isn't. I mean, he's he is a he's a wonderful poet. He has a you know a, a heart that's truly on fire for for Christ. Yeah. So, so uh, it's you know where do you even begin? Kind of with Aquinas. So I'm going to give a quote, just a little thing uh, that would be from from uh, the, uh, the opening to the commentary on the Ten Commandments. And he says, three things are necessary for man to be saved. Knowledge of what is to be believed, knowledge of what is to be desired, and knowledge of what is to be done. The first is taught in the creed, where knowledge of the articles of faith is given. The second in the Lord's Prayer. And the third is the law. Hmm. So that's why, that's why I'm recommending, you know, those commentaries specifically it i mean he's comments he comments on the creed comments on the law comments on the lord's prayer so and are those uh are they available on yeah I mean, you absolutely can, you, can, you, you can, can buy them, them but. you can buy them you can find them online too and if you're going to go to um it is useful to have introductions to to mystic uh philosophy sometimes if you're going to like try to hop into this sumo or something so uh one i would say you might just plain hop in at in the in the in in tertia pars question 73 which is the eucharist beginning of the eucharist goes through question 79 i think maybe 80 and just start reading that it's actually i mean it's it's not that bad uh and especially now that you have if you listen to the other podcast some of the like decodering terminology mm-hmm. uh but it, if you want but also it, peter kraft put out a couple of books a shorter sumer and uh, like an even shorter sumer, I don't even what the title of the second one is. It's like itty bitty. The, the the glossary alone would be worth having, in terms of you know, like trying to understand. You know, well, what does he mean when he says phantasm or something like uh-huh, that? That right. kind of that kind of terminology you just don't use every day. So uh, that that would also be a recommendation. And then in kind of more modern uh, Thomistic philosopher, Joseph Pieper. Uh, is fantastic. Uh, hard to go wrong. The peepster, as we call him. Yeah, absolutely. Here on the show. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to go wrong there. Um, any? I mean, I, well, I think that St. Thomas stands alone in that other philosophers are described, oh, what type of philosopher was he? Uh, oh, he's a Stoic. Or, you know, yeah. he St. Thomas is his own he's genre. Thomist. He, yeah. he <laughs> Which is, he would actually hate. He would actually hate uh, my. What I've heard is that he would hate being references that because he does not want to be original. He does not want to be because oh. uh, you know, the most un- being unoriginal is like I, I just want to imitate Christ, which is yeah. unoriginal. Christ is original. Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's famous. So, you know, n- n- nothing but you know thyself, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Right. So like uh, I, I've read somewhere I can't even remember where it was, but a commentary on Thomas and his, them saying like he would be rolling over in his grave. Knowing that there were Thomas after his own name, because all you know, he did not want to be known as this, you know, his own philosophy. Right. It, I don't want to be original. I just want to be unoriginal. I want to be like Christ. You know that that who is original? Who is the original? Yeah. You know. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, uh, he. You're right. He does kind of stand alone. He's almost too. It's so. He's such a monument that it's a little hard to try to like. Where do you start? Okay, so what about uh, so he he was also a mystic, right? Or, yes. He, uh, uh, he, he, let's he, talk uh, a little bit about that because that's that's a fun part. Yeah, I mean, there's the the famous story of him. Um, I think it was his confessor that observed this and that 
him being spoken to. I'm going to maybe get this right, maybe this wrong. I can't remember if it was the, where exactly the voice was coming from, but it's more or less the effect of, you know, if you've written well of me, what would you, what would you have? And he replies, you know, nothing but thyself, yeah. Lord, which is a quote I use. It. But it's, it's such a beautiful, such a beautiful. But then after this experience, um, he stops writing. Summa. He said, you know, everything I've written is like straw. Now, right. the Lord himself, you know, did approve. You've written well of me. But it's like, it's like I just can't. I can't yeah, get, which is I can't like, go on. It's like, this whiskey most, is really, really great. But now that I see the beatific vision, you know, this whiskey is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a bad analogy. But, but also, it's like, <laughs> what he said was just wrong. I mean, I, I know why he said it. You know, by comparison, what he has done is just totally worthless you know when you compare it to god himself but it's like, yeah it's not straw yeah we still you know tom yeah we we, we thank you for writing it yes. yes yeah yeah so i i like to think about uh, play the idea because he uh what council was he on on the, on the way to before he died right before he died he was, uh, I, I, yeah he was on the way to council i don't remember, I can't which. remember what council is yeah, i don't know yeah I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was a big council and it's like what would have happened if he was there well, you know, but, you know we got to accept it by providence. I guess it wasn't meant to be, right? You know, but it is a it is a shame. Uh, okay, so let's talk about really fast how he writes the suit because assume it's what everybody hears yeah. about. I, I'm an, I'm a guy who maybe I, I'm I'm just now opening the summa for the first time. What should I expect? Well, you should expect that he it's it's all very it's a very structured layout. What he'll do is he'll propose a question, then he'll propose you know various objections. Uh, you know, that people might raise, and then he will have uh, a, a section which is on the contrary, usually where, where he will marshal... His response, basically. The start, but this is where he'll mar ar marshal arguments from authorities, like from the fathers of the church and things like that, and then he'll have the body of his response, which will be where he uh, makes the argument uh, philosophically or, or, or theologically, but I mean, so he's like... Uh, spelling out the argument so he'll, he'll, he'll get question objections a quick reply where he argues just straight from authority and then he'll go into the next thing and he'll explain in detail and then if necessary he'll reply to the objections in detail as well okay so but the the things that you recommended the, his commentaries those aren't written in that question no, they're, they're not in written response. in that form okay we have uh, 20 seconds why is philosophy important why should why should men care it's the search for truth it's the search. That's why Oshin, uh, everybody who's listening right now, that's why you should be looking for uh, more philosophers. Yeah, it's the love of wisdom. Mi yeah, truth. mining mining these people's thoughts so that way, because uh, the more you know truth, the more you love it. Yep, and and uh, our Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, I guess in that way, from that uh, standpoint, philosophy is the same as uh, the study of divinity. You know, if you're just studying truth, you're studying God. In, yeah. in many ways. Yeah, it, it's the question of whether or not you're doing it by, by natural reason, which is the way of philosophy, or by faith, which is, you know, yeah. by re revelation. Excellent, excellent. Thomas, man, thanks so much for hanging out with us. These two episodes, if you just now tuning in, check out the one on the Eucharist as well. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.